0: Good morning, VHC. Good morning. And welcome to this season of Advent. For our modern lesson, we're going to listen to someone's experience with colonization. I know it doesn't seem too advantageous, but let's first get the get on the same page over its definition. Colonization is defined as sending a group of settlers into a place to establish political control over it and appropriate the people's culture often degrading them in their spiritual beliefs in the process. This perpetual action caused a ripple effect, several ripple effects, in fact. Therefore, colonization is also defined as a system shaping our world today, heavily influencing Christian religious thought patterns that the body of Christ has become accustomed to. Let's allow God to open our hearts and minds to comprehend one woman's poetic story in regards to colonization.
1: As a girl, my family emigrated from Kenya to the United States. New country, new people, new language. But the one thing that remained was the presence of my savior, Jesus Christ. This didn't surprise me. I grew up knowing my God was everywhere, that he saw everything. I believed him to be a benevolent being whose image I was created in, even as I looked up at his portrait that was hanging in my grandmother's home. A frame full of blonde hair, pink and pale skin, eyes a light blue piercing enough to draw blood, an image so holy but one that did not allow me to see myself in my creator. But as a child, it didn't matter. I believed in the word of God. I read it like a love letter that he wrote me. I saw the preacher as the postman speaking deliverance each service until one day in Sunday school, we were wrapping English Bibles for poor kids in Botswana, and I wondered, in what language did God listen? Did he hear my prayers clearly in Swahili? Did he hear me better now that my amens were sent up in a foreign man's tongue? A foreign man whose face looked more like his blue-eyed son I'd seen growing up. I thought maybe we sent English Bibles because his ears, they tasted the sweet sound of prayer better when spoken in this tongue. I know, looking back, it sounds like a silly moment to start questioning your faith. But that day, I learned that once the seed of doubt is planted, its roots will always thirst. So I began to read about God. Each page was like a raindrop of history. I lost my religion in floods of understanding, but I grew closer to divinity. And eventually, branches on that tree of doubt spread so wide that they blocked out even his divine light. It was around the same time that I realized that the poor kids I'd sent Bibles to, they were poor partly because of how that Bible had been used. See, when the missionaries came to Africa, Christianity swept our lands like a biblical plague. Our firstborns were smothered under the cover of night. Our waters, they flowed red and full, swollen like the bodies of stolen daughters. We were left in the darkness of colonization for eight decades. We became a continent of Job's, promised salvation but seeing suffering tenfold. From those who came claiming grace but belting gospels of genocide. From those who beat tradition from elder tongues and called it tithe. From those who called losing our culture a tax for finding salvation in Christ. And ain't it funny? How they used their God to justify the taking of what ours had blessed us with for centuries. How they, how they claimed to introduce God to our lands when our lands birthed even their humanity. See, Jomo Kenyatta once said, When the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed. And when we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bibles. Do you see how swiftly they pull wool from the Lamb of God over our eyes? The greatest lie colonialism ever told was that it brought God to Africa. Yes, they brought their Bibles, but they did not bring God to our lands. Yes, they brought their churches, but they did not bring God to our lands. Yes, they brought their guns, but they did not bring God to our lands. What they brought was an image made to justify the breaking of our bodies like communion bread, a false idol that to this day, I still see hanging so many Kenyan homes, a frame full of blonde hair, pink and pink, blue piercing enough to draw blood to have already drawn blood
0: that yeah take a few deep breaths with with me because that was kind of heavy just inhale that sit with it exhale any of the weight from what you just heard In my bio, you heard that I am a spiritual director. This means that I guide men and women as they grapple with the social imbalances of the world and figure out new ways to interface with God in the midst of these imbalances. Working with them opens space for my own contemplation. Lately, I've been considering how much colonization still influences modern Christianity and how it still influences modern Christian thought. So I offer that returning to some forms of traditional healing may be necessary to remove the traces of colonization residing in our faith. Regardless of our race, creed, or color, we are all being negatively impacted by the Christian superiority or mindset. The Christian superiority mindset. Let's remember that colonized faith is exhibited when we expect complete strangers to act the way we think or make the same decisions about our bodies that we would because God said, or the scriptures say, without regard to free will. Remember free will? It is currently being used to dismember voting rights, win political seats for selfish gain, and to condone insurrections. It's being exercised when a mass shooter feels justified, when killing sprees in places of worships, clubs, or spas are being orchestrated, and even when federal law discriminates at this nation's borders. So we must address colonization and address decolonizing the Christian faith because these are criminals claiming to be Christians acting in the name of God. They even use a colonizing rhetoric and behave as if this God-given right to choose is reserved only for them. They say they are led, but only accept people who think and act like them. On those outside of their alliance, they drop bombs exploding with furious words of condemnation. Not only do they refuse to listen or show consideration for others, they may even bully people, living their lives the best they can, not harming anyone. Those with decolonized thinking about their faith speak about religious rules. These surround marriage, sex, sexuality, divorce, a woman's place, a man's place, a child's place. The list goes on. And they have more to say about those things than even Jesus did. With colonized faith defined, we can use our free will for good. It's time to decolonize our faith and reclaim it for Jesus' original intention to set the captive free, and to strengthen our connection with God. This begins with the ripple effect I spoke of. To spiritually clear and heal our faith or decolonize during these trying social times, we can look to the healing ways that Jesus and benevolent ancestors practiced long before colonization. Rituals honored the full self, connecting them to the earth and globally to one another. It is by healing ourselves, not condemning others, that we become more like Jesus, the one sent to decolonize our minds, our spirits, our world. When we are individually healing, the world is positively affected by it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms evil in the heavenly realms? Paul typically wrote letters of instruction based on the needs of the churches he was addressing. However, this letter is different because it basically summarizes Paul's understanding of Christian thought and Christian living. You may have recognized that I read Ephesians 6.12. In verse 10, Paul refers to being strengthened by the Lord's strength. I challenge us to consider that this is a direct access to the strength of God, not simply the vicarious one that we've been taught to believe. Paul then acknowledges that there is a denser adversarial energy among us that he refers to as the devil, a trickster. This is in verse 11. By verse 12, Paul is full on saying, there is something in the cosmos, y'all, and it has authority and spiritual powers was he panicking? No. Paul lived during a time when Africans, Celts, indigenous peoples of Eastern Europe, to name a few, were practicing spiritual traditions. Remnants of these practices followed them later into Christianity. Therefore, Paul's rhetoric about these forces was not an announcement to them, but a reminder. It suffices to say that our ancestors knew that spiritual forces came in good and evil varieties. These influenced leaders of kingdoms and empires. The ancestors knew ways to protect themselves from these dense, imbalanced energies. The irony is that their methodologies were like those found in Catholicism. To see what that looks like, let's focus on an example from the motherland, That's Africa, in case you haven't heard. Because, as I stated, adopting some traditional spirituality may be the key to healing from colonized religion. We already know that both continental Africans and U.S. enslaved Africans were forced to convert to the religions of their masters. These masters honored saints and angels. For survival, my ancestors replaced honoring their ancestors and guides with honoring these saints and angels, but only a name. African altars and smudging herbs became westernized communion tables and incense. Animals sacrificed and later consumed became the taking of Christ's blood and body, which for some today is believed to be the consumption of the real blood and body of Christ. So adapting traditional spirituality for our current spiritual needs is not a far reach. Colonizers were too haughty, too conceited, to see these similarities and demonized African spirituality, which was a way of life, over westernized religion, a way of control. But indigenous ancestors, like the indigenous of today, understood that everything honors the one God with many parts, and that names and faces were given to the personalities of God for the sake of clarity, because of oral traditions of learning. As an aside, this is not to say that none of the indigenous cultures practice polytheism. The verdict is somewhat contradictory on that due to semantics. Even in Christianity, there are three personages in one Godhead, which sounds polytheistic to some. Perhaps the colonization of faith in Jesus or the way, as Jesus calls himself in John 14:16, is why we too have graven images, albeit inaccurate, of God Christ, saint guides, and angel guides. While traditional healers or shamans and their spiritual emblems are paganized by Christianity, the Christian diaspora continues to share their holidays down to the traditional consumption of specific meats three times a year, the Easter lamb, Thanksgiving turkey, Christmas ham. I'm not calling us to drop our holidays nor our saints, angels, ancestor guides, or altars. I am showing you what believers in Christ may need to decolonize. Colonized thinking creates a spiritual imbalance. These can lead us to believe we are better than people who are more like us than we realize. As alluded to previously, the spiritually imbalanced don't give accountability, don't believe accountability applies to them, making them the real hypocrites staining the church. Not those of us trying, but falling short. I am also showing you that our indigenous ancestors understood what we have been discouraged to believe by those wishing to remain in control. We are all interconnected. What hurts one, hurts us all, globally. What heals one, heals us all, globally. Indigenous groups even now acknowledge that the full human experience includes flesh, spirit, and soul. They do not demonize the flesh in honor of the spirit. Therein lies a trinity of its own, and each part needs attention to be made whole. If we take a note from them, we may see God as our ancestors did before being touched by the poison of colonization. Do we realize that the scriptures, God's love, and the great news Christ brings about our connectivity to God are to help us cope, heal, and spiritually align or balance ourselves. Knowing this better equips us to hold ourselves and others accountable in ways that maintain both our dignity and theirs, instead of acting out in all of this foolishness that we see. The true power and freedom reside in knowing this and breaking free of man-made rules and expectations. Holistic self-care practices, let's talk about those. They can take many forms and we don't need to be worried about appropriation because this is already in our DNA. So start simply to heal spiritual imbalances that you may feel encroaching upon you. Connect with nature and look for synchronicities in life. They are gifts from spirit. Spend time contemplating with a burning candle or incense Dance out negative energy, stressful energy, and align your energy with God's. Take deep breaths. Then settle into the words that Jesus said, instead of focusing more on the talk about or around him in the Bible. Think about the metaphorical meaning of texts and not simply literal interpretations. Culture and context also matter. When ready, ask yourself, what matters most to you in your relationship with God and why? Ask, what am I holding on to? How does it serve me? These are questions I ask myself. These are things I do myself. God really isn't one size fits all for every situation or every person. God heals or deals with his children where they are, so freely use the Holy Ghost to help discern what's right what's good, and what's God, what God's will is for you in this day and time. She is real. She is there for us, but we need to, and we tend to shy away from anything supernatural. We tend to shy away from anything supernatural. Yet God is supernatural. Jesus is supernatural. The supernatural is available to you. Believing such does not make you naive or ignorant. Healing can be the advent of a new meaning in the words, Be like Jesus. Jesus fasted, prayed, went to synagogue, meditated in silence, read the writings of the scribes, quoted Isaiah, and healed using mud and spit. He could cast spells to exorcise demons, raise the dead, transfer healing energy from his garments, make the best wine at parties, and even forgive sins. Jesus, the perfect balance of power and compassion. He was the best shaman ever, a traditional healer who knew his power was God's. I'll leave you with a scripture to chew on, John 14. It's a favorite because it is the wrong time for Jesus to become hyperbolic, parabolic, or even wax poetic. So of course Jesus does this. There is much room for literal and metaphorical interpretation because of these exaggerations and these parables, which is why I absolutely love it. In verse 12, in the contemporary English version, where the punctuation is placed sensibly, Jesus gives his disciples a promise with a condition. He says, I tell you for certain that if you have faith in me, you will do the same things I am doing. You will do even greater things now that I am going back to the Father. Be like Jesus. Heal like the shaman. Heal like the shaman. Decolonize the faith. Why not use this time of Advent to focus on our spirits and our bodies during these times? Recognize God's lessons in nature and the environment. Honor the interconnectivity of all mankind all humankind. As we shift our energy toward honoring God in the purest forms of our ancestors as our ancestors did, we will, as Jesus intended, decolonize our mindset, decolonize the way we use God's word, strengthen our faith, and heal ourselves with others. Ashe and amen.